You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of 1 Thessalonians. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join him now. Uh, but that is the, the happy partnership uh, that we have between the church and parents. Uh, because some things that, that you parents say uh, to your kids, they become clearer at church. And some things that we say at church become clearer at home. And so kids, if, you, if there are any kids in here, maybe any uh, youth, and you don't understand uh, some things that we talk about this morning, maybe you want to ask your parents uh, to, to clarify some things. Parents, I encourage you to follow up and to talk to your kids about these things. And uh, married couples, I encourage you to talk about these things amongst each other. We're going to answer three questions in our text this morning. If you're a note taker, three questions. What does the Bible mean by sexual sin? Why should we avoid sexual sin? And how do we stay away from sexual sin? So let's read our text and we'll look at those questions. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. Just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification or holiness. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Not in passion of lust like the Gentiles or the pagans who do not know God. That no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. Who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Well, Paul begins by exhorting the church there and exhorting us to grow, to add to your faith, to, to not be stagnant, to not be content where you're at with Jesus. And maybe you're thinking this morning, you know what, I'm doing well. I, I'm, I'm not involved in these things. I'm doing well with the Lord. And Paul would say, great, just like he did to this church. But continue to abound more and more. Just as you are doing. Continue to grow. Never be content with where you're at with the Lord. You should always want more of Him. In fact, it's been said that if you're not going forward, you're going backwards. And maybe you don't recognize that right now. Maybe you don't see that you're going backwards. But if you're not growing, it's guaranteed that you're going backwards. It will only be a matter of time before you will begin to notice that devolving into old patterns and old lifestyles. He says to grow so that you might know how you ought to walk, that you might know how you ought to live your life. It's the, the basic characteristics of your life is what that has in mind. That you might know how to walk and to please God. That ought to be our goal. To please God, to glorify God. 
For you know what commandments or instructions. These are like military orders that we gave you through the Lord Jesus. You know what your call is. You know what you're supposed to do. Now go do it. See, and oftentimes in the church, it's our desire to know more. And, and we want to come to church and hear something that we've never heard before. And the thing is, you guys, you don't need more information. What you need to do is apply what you already know. And it's part of the problem of the church is that we're not really willing to apply what we already do know. And if we would just apply what we know, man, we could revolutionize our city. We could have a church that's absolutely on fire for Jesus if we would just do the little that we do know. Paul says, you know what you're supposed to do, now go do it. And then he begins to tell them what's on his heart. And we want to look at these three questions. What does the Bible mean by sexual sin? If you look at verse 3, Paul tells us, For this is the will of God, your sanctification or your holiness, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is the will of God. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't a good idea. This is God's will. Your holiness. The word here for sexual immorality is pornea in the Greek. The primary meaning is fornication. That is two people engaging in sexual activity as if they are married when they're not. That's the basic idea. Sex and the intimate kissing and touching that leads to sex is for a man and a woman who have made a commitment to one another in marriage. Anything outside of those parameters is sin. Anything outside of a man and a woman who have made a commitment to each other in marriage. Not saying, well, we're married in God's eyes. No. A commitment, a real commitment. You know, where you go to somebody who's allowed to do that, and, and they um, preside over your wedding, and they pronounce you man and wife, and there's witnesses, and you fill out the certificate, and you go to the courthouse, and you pay money, and you get checked for AIDS and everything that they do now. That's what it means to get married. We have to define that because people say, well, I'm married in God's eyes and the Lord knows we really love each other, but, you know, we can't really get married because, uh, well, actually, I'm still married and, um, you know, we're, we're living together. or Just a whole bunch of reasons that people come up with as to why they can't get married. We don't need to sign a piece of paper to prove that we love each other. Yes, you do. You do. That, that's what it means to get married. Because anything beyond that is, there's no commitment. You get into a big fight and you walk out the door. You take your suitcase and your favorite chair and you're gone. But when you're married... There's commitment there. You've made a commitment to each other. This word also has a broader meaning beyond just fornication or 
two people who aren't married engaging in sexual activity. It, it can speak of any number of sexual sins, homosexuality and bestiality. It also includes the sexual sin that leads many to live in a fantasy world of images and people who are paid to take their clothes off while others sin in their mind. And so this word can be defined by any sexual sin that is outside the parameters that God has set up. Anything that is not between a husband and a wife in their marriage bed or wherever they choose to engage in sex. That's what this word can involve. It it can involve pornography. It can involve homosexuality. It can involve lusting in your mind. Like Jesus said, as all those religious leaders listened in and thought to themselves, I'm good. I've never committed adultery. I've never done that. And then Jesus said, if you lust in your heart after a woman, you've committed adultery. And every guy in the room drops their head, right? Just like, okay, guilty as charged. And so this, this word, this idea of sexual sin, it's, it's very broad. And God has set up parameters by which sex is to be enjoyed. And some of you may be thinking, here we go again, you know, the, the church railing on sex. I mean, what's the big deal? And God created sex, and he made it pleasurable for a reason. I mean, he could have made it, you know, just like non-enjoyable. It could have been like a laboratory experiment. You know, like, here you go, okay, mix it together, good, we're all set, let's have some kids. But he, he made it enjoyable for a reason. And the reason for that is because he wants us to enjoy it, but in the confines of marriage. And see, God has given us lots of things to enjoy. He's given us food to enjoy. But some of us, like myself haven't had the self-control necessary to enjoy it in the parameters by which God has set it up. And so, we take things that God has created and we twist them. And we make gods out of them. And we worship it instead of Him. And that's what our culture has done with sex. It has taken it and it has demonized it. And it has made it into something dark and twisted and ugly. And it's ruining lives. Maybe it's, it's got your life in its snare. And you, you've begun to worship at the altar of sex and lust in a fantasy world. In the shackles that it puts on you. 
will hold you back from the, the freedom and the enjoyment that God has created for us. And if you're not married, it will eventually find its way into your marriage when you are married. And it will affect your marriage. And if you are married, you are undermining the foundation of your marriage and you are ruining it and you are destroying it with your sin. And so that's what the Bible means by sexual sin. But why should we avoid sexual sin? Maybe some of you are thinking, you know, I mean, why, why do I need to avoid it? What's the big deal? I know that's what people outside these doors are thinking. That's obvious. Just turn on the television. Just talk to coworkers or listen to coworkers. Some of you probably hear things you don't want to hear. It's obvious that people think to themselves, why should I avoid that? Why should I abstain? Why should I Listen to this ancient book with these old-fashioned principles. Why should we avoid sexual sin? Well, the text mentions at least six motivations for sexual purity. Six reasons to avoid sexual sin. The first is found in verse 1. To please God. That you may know how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul exhorts us. How we ought to live our life. What our walk should be. What our character should be. So that we please God. Sexual purity pleases God. And as a Christian, it should be your desire to please God. See, becoming a Christian, you guys, is more than just getting a ticket to heaven. It's more than just saying, I don't want to go to hell, so give me some fire insurance so that I I can have security of where I'm going after I die. It's more than that. It's more than a genie in a bottle that you can summon when you want stuff. Christianity is the complete and whole sacrifice of your life to Jesus. He gave His life, and now He asks you to give Him, yours. And by doing so, you're saying, Lord, I want my life to please you. I want my life, both publicly and privately, both what happens externally and what happens in my mind, I want it to please you, God. I want my life to be pleasing unto you. That should be your goal. And sexual purity pleases God. As Christians, we should want to please God. Secondly, and this is related to this, but it's a bit different, to do God's will. Verse 3, for this is the will of God, your holiness, that you would abstain from sexual sin. As Christians, our desire should be to do God's will. Again, when you came To Christ, you said as Jesus did, not my will, but your will be done. At least that's what we should be saying. Lord, 
It's not about me. What do you want? Okay, this is how you've defined sex? Then, Lord, I want to be in your will in that area. So often, Christians ask, well, what's God's will for my life? And what they mean by that is, who should I marry? Where should I go to college? Should I take this job? Should I paint my house pink? Should I buy this car? These are the questions that we're asking ourselves. And they're really the wrong questions. Because God isn't that concerned what color you paint your house. And God's not that concerned if you drive a Toyota or a Honda. God's not that concerned where you go to college. And I'll even say that God is way less concerned about who you marry than he is about your own heart. And about getting your life right with Jesus. And finding somebody whose life is right with Jesus. And whose life matches the parameters that God has set up. And then you have freedom in Christ to make good decisions. We concern ourselves with the specifics of God's will. When in reality, we should be concerning ourselves with His will in general. That which He's laid out in the Scriptures. And here's one of them. This is my will. And so often people are living in sexual sin. And then they want to know, should I marry this person? No. No. Get your life right. Keep your pants on. Then get married. When you can be a person that is not a pervert, because you're going to be bringing that into your marriage. That's God's will. We shouldn't be concerning ourselves with His specific will and then neglecting His will in general. This is God's will, your holiness, that we would be free from these things. Which really brings me to the, the third reason that we should abstain from sexual sin, and that's to be free. Everybody wants to be free. Especially Americans. We pride ourselves on our freedom. The choices that we're allowed to make in this country. Some of you are making those choices to determine who our president will be. And we pride ourselves in the, the fact that we can choose and that we have freedom. And Paul says one of the reasons that we ought to avoid sexual sin is so that we're free. Look at verse 4. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel. That you would know how to control yourself. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And self-control is about freedom. It's not about being shackled. It's actually about being free. See, we, we think of it as, oh man, these puritanical principles that God has set up. They've got me shackled down. I want to be free. No, when you give in to the lust of your flesh, you're actually a slave to your flesh. You're a slave to sin. And God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free from these things. He wants us to know how to possess 
our own body in self-control. Not in doing whatever feels right to us. See, again, God has given us many things to enjoy, but within His parameters. And if we abuse those and we distort those things, then there's a bondage to it. And some people are in bondage to food. God has given us bodies that need sleep. But if you're sleeping 15, 20 hours a day, you're in bondage to that. You're in bondage to your laziness. See, and there's natural fleshly appetites that we need. We need sleep, we need to eat. And most of us need to have sex. And that's why God has set up marriage. But if we don't obey His parameters, then we'll be shackled to our sin. We'll be shackled to our flesh. And so God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free to enjoy sex the way He created it to be. And there's no more pleasurable sex than in marriage. And young people, you need to know that. Single people. You need to know that sex within the parameters of marriage is the way God created it to be and it gets better as you learn how to, to be a servant and, and how to love your spouse and how to treat your spouse in such a way that, that they enjoy it. And anything aside from that is bondage. Also to be honorable. A fourth reason to avoid sexual sin is to be honorable. Look at the end of verse 4. That you would know how to possess your body in sanctification and honor. Sexual sin dishonors you. Everybody wants to be honored. It's, it's part of our ego. But when you sin sexually, you're dishonoring yourself. You're dishonoring your current or future spouse. You're dishonoring the person that you're sinning with. Sexual purity is the honorable thing to do. It brings honor to God. It brings honor to yourself. It bring, brings honor to everybody involved. Well, fifth reason is because we want to put others first. And you're like, we, I do. Well, if you're a Christian, you should. We talked about it last week. It's a basic principle of Christianity to put others first. Now, it doesn't seem to be being applied but it is a basic principle of Christianity. To die to self. To put others first. And sexual purity, as we see in verse 6, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter. Sexual purity puts yourself first. It rips people off. It takes advantage of people. It uses people for your own pleasure. For your own good. 
Oh, but people say, oh, I love him so much. I love her so much. No, you don't. If you really loved that person, you would die to yourself and you would wait until God says it's right and it's good. What you're proving right now is that you don't love anybody but yourself. You love yourself so much that you're willing to compromise your values and their values. That you're willing to dishonor their family and your family. Because you love yourself. You don't love that person. It puts others first. That's what waiting until marriage and honoring the marriage bed. That's what it does. It puts others first. Sexual purity is the loving way to treat people. When we sin sexually, we are not seeking the highest good of others. We're not seeking the highest good of the person we're sinning with, the person that we're fantasizing about, our spouse, our future spouse, or the spouses of anyone involved. We're not putting them first. We're putting ourselves first. And you guys, self has to die. Well, a sixth reason to avoid sexual sin is found at the end of verse 6. To avoid God's judgment. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. To avoid God's judgment. There ought to be a real healthy fear about sin. And specifically sexual sin. It will be judged. If you turn from the worship of your creator, the one that made you, if you turn from the worship of the one who's madly and passionately in love with you, and you turn from the one who should consume your passions and begin to worship his creation, which is what sexual sin is. It's a worship problem. You're worshiping his creation. You're worshiping the body of one of God's creation. You've begun to make sex into a false god. You've begun to to make lust the ruling, consuming master of your life. You've begun to make fantasy into a reality. And it will lead you to destruction. And there will be judgment. Maybe not the way we picture it. You know, like, watch out, a lightning bolt's going to hit that guy. But there will be judgment. I think STDs are a part of God's judgment upon sexual sin. There's all kinds of repercussions to sexual sin, aren't there? Some of which can be redeemed, like unwanted children. God can redeem that. But when you're 16 and pregnant, it's not so great. But God can use it. 
And God can, can turn beauty into ashes. Ashes into beauty. You knew what I meant. But there will be judgment for our sin. And it won't be good. The shame, the embarrassment, all the things that can be associated with sexual sin. God says, look, get rid of it. I don't want to have to avenge that. I don't want to have to judge. I don't want to have to to allow you to go through the repercussions of your sin. And see, it's the reason why the Old Testament exists. Because I can say to you, do not sin sexually. And you can say to your children, don't sin in this way. Don't do it, you guys. You can say that. And that's powerful to say. But then you go to the life of David. And you say, here's why. You see what happened to David? A man after God's own heart. A man who was being radically used by the Lord. A man who wrote the most profoundly beautiful poems to God. A man who every one of us would love to spend 15 minutes with just to find out how they knew so much about God that had never been revealed to anybody. But that same man, that same man had his life destroyed because of his passion that was unbridled and untamed. And you look at his family and you look at Absalom, his son, who turned his back on David, who betrayed his father, who stabbed him in the back. And we think, why would he do that to his own dad? Because he didn't respect him. Because David made choices that undermined the trust and the respect of his own children. And what started small with David ended up being an absolute firestorm for Solomon. And if you think you can tell your children, don't do this, and you do it, you're fooling yourself. Or if you think, I can control this sin, it's not that big of a deal, and, and, and my kids, it won't affect them, well, just look at David and Solomon. What started out small ended up with a, a problem that was so huge for Solomon. And so the last question that we want to look at is how do we stay away from sexual sin? We've seen what it is and why we ought to avoid it, but how do we stay away from it? Well, the first, the first thing is found in verses 4 and 5. It's to know God. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, in honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles, like the pagans who do not know God. First and key principle in avoiding sexual sin is to know God. And if you don't know God, there is no way that you can control your lust. You'll be a slave to it. 
And if you are a Christian and you are giving in to sexual sin, it's a, it's a worship problem. It's a knowledge of God problem. It's a relationship with God where there's a disconnect. And you need to know Him better. You need to know Him more intimately. Knowing God is the path to sexual purity. Because God is the source of all pleasure. Psalm 1611. In Him are pleasures forevermore. We think that sex is the ultimate pleasure. And hey, I'm not trying to fool anybody. Sex is great. But knowing God is the ultimate pleasure. And when you know Him, sexual sin becomes worthless. When you realize the superior pleasure of knowing God. As Paul said in Philippians 3, 7, I count all that stuff as rubbish. And that's a powerful word Paul used. Rubbish. I count it as a pile of poop. For the excellency of knowing Jesus. And when you know Jesus, sexual sin is not as alluring. Doesn't mean it isn't there. It's there. And you know what's really disheartening? Is when you talk to older guys. You know, like 70 year old guys and they're still struggling with it. And it's like, are you kidding me? I got to struggle with this until the day I die. I mean, when you're, when you're younger, you think I'm just going to get married. And that's why Christian guys get married young. I always love to tell the story. Andrew and I were planning on getting married in the spring. And after a year and a half of dating and engagement, I said, why don't we kick that baby back? Let's just bring it on back about six months. So we got married in January. And everybody says, why did you guys get married in January? I'll figure it out. But when you know God, Sexual sin isn't as alluring because in Him are pleasures forevermore. In Him is the ultimate pleasure. Look, you guys, people are thirsty. But too many of us are drinking from the toilet. People are thirsty. When you walk out these doors today, people are thirsty. They're thirsty for love and acceptance for affirmation, for affection, for somebody to treat them with kindness, for somebody to say something kind to them and loving to them, for somebody to put their arm around them. But that becomes a thirst for the wrong things. We're looking for love in all the wrong places. Many of us, all of us are thirsty, but too many of us are drinking from the toilet. And there's just something about drinking toilet water that isn't that satisfying. It leaves a little bit of an aftertaste. It's just kind of like, I don't know. 
know God. A second way we stay away from sexual sin is to know who we are in Christ. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Know your calling. Know your purpose. Know who you are in Jesus. Holiness is not something we need to search for, you guys. Do you know that? So often Christians are on this quest for holiness. I've got to find it. Where is it? It's hiding. And if I can just find it, and if I can just turn up that rock where it's at, then I'll be holy. No, holiness is a position that you have in Christ. He's declared you to be holy. And so holiness is not about finding something outside of yourself and strapping it on. Holiness is about understanding your position in Christ and letting it permeate who you are. And soaking and reveling in the holiness of God. It's your position in Christ. If you're trying to produce holiness, you're in a losing battle. Holiness and purity is something that you have as a byproduct of who you are in Christ. And so if you have sexual sin, it's because you don't understand who you are in Christ. You don't understand that you already are holy, that you don't have to do this. You don't have to give in. He's given you the ability to be free from that. You're holy. We also need to know the source of the command. Verse 8, Therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God. These principles are not Paul's ideas. They're not my ideas. Young people, they're not your parents' ideas. These are God's principles. Your creator. And he knows what's best for you. And he wants you to enjoy sex. But in the parameters that he's set up. Otherwise, it will ruin you. It will destroy you. You're not rejecting your parents. You're not rejecting me. You're not rejecting Paul. You're rejecting Jesus who gave his life for you. They're his commands. And when you think of it that way, it changes things. And know the power that you have to overcome sin. The last part of verse 8. Who has given us his Holy Spirit. Literally this says, who has given us his Spirit who is holy. And so it's kind of a play on words. Paul's saying the Spirit of God that dwells in you is holy. And when you're living recklessly, when you're living in sexual sin, you're bringing shame to the Holy Spirit that lives in your life. You're bringing Jesus and the holiness of God into that sin. We need to know the power that we have to overcome sin, that it's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit that lives in our heart is the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. 
And people say, you know what, it's just impossible. I mean, look at the world we're living in. It's saturated with sex. Well, you know what? This culture here, the Greco-Roman culture, it was absolutely saturated with sex. In fact, it was part of their worship. Some people might think, what God's that? I might want to get involved in that religion. <laughs> no, but seriously. It, it involved prostitution. It involved illicit sexual activity. Their worship. And so, don't think that they didn't have the same temptations that we do. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every way, such as you are, yet without sin. And I think we don't want to have that in our mind, that Jesus was tempted sexually. But hey, i got to tell you, sexual sin is the biggest temptation in my life. And if the Bible says Jesus was tempted in every way such as I am, he's not talking about Snickers bars necessarily. Right? So we got to think about that. And Jesus said, no. He was able to overcome that. And he gives you the opportunity and the ability to overcome that by his Holy Spirit that lives in your heart. Jonathan Edwards said this, To overcome sin, we must take a desire and overcome it with a stronger desire. See, it isn't that God doesn't want you to be passionate. It isn't that God doesn't want you to have desires. God wants you to channel those desires in the right way. That's the key, you guys. Overcoming it with a stronger desire. Well, maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, this is all great, and, and I, I agree with what you're saying. But what do I do if I've messed up my life? What do I do if I've messed up my life with sex, with lust, with immoral living, with pornography, with living in a fantasy world. What do I do if I've messed up my life? Turn to Jesus. He wants you to turn to Him today. Man, I love 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2. If you have a Bible, turn back just a couple pages. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. If you don't know where it's at, look, look at your neighbor's Bible. This is God speaking. He says, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, to him, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And maybe some of you have destroyed your life with sexual sin. You've destroyed your marriage. You've destroyed your relationship with your kids. And God says to you today, come to me and I'll make you a virgin. I'll make you pure. I'll make you whole. I'll set you on the right path. That's what he wants to do. Guys, he doesn't hold our sin against us. He doesn't want 
us to live in that way anymore. He wants to set us free. He wants to make us whole and new in him. Husbands and wives, he wants you to enjoy that. And I know that many of you aren't. And he wants you to. He's given it to you to enjoy. And he wants to set you free. He wants you to know that you've been forgiven so that you can enjoy that. He wants to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And maybe you need this morning to to confess your sin to the Lord. And to say, Father, I want to have this. I want to have this purity in my life. I want to honor you, Lord. I want to please you with my life. And I haven't been. Maybe this morning you're not a Christian and you've ruined your life with sexual sin and you say, you know what? It's true. It's devastated my life and I want to be set free from it. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to carry this guilt anymore. Jesus wants to set you free. He wants to wrap his arms around you and love you like you've never been loved. And so we're going to have people up here to pray with you. We're going to close with a song that I think is perfect for what we talked about this morning. I warned you, I told you it was going to be PG-13. I hope the Lord has spoken to you. I hope that God's word will revolutionize our lives, will transform us from what the devil wants us to be into what Jesus wants us to be. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. If you would like to write to us or contribute to this ministry, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Or you may log on to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com. Thank you for listening and God bless.